All right, John 4, beginning in verse 1. Uh, we're going to read a lot of text today, but it's okay because it's the Word of God. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now that lettuce little sentence is going to be key for where we're going. Okay, If you like to write in your Bible or highlight in your devices, you might notate there verse 4. It's pretty significant. Now he had to go through Samaria. I'm going to tell you why it's significant in just a moment. Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So let's chat for a second. My guess is that most of you, you have thought about Jesus and what he's like and, and how he might act. But my guess is that most of us, when we think about Jesus, probably don't think about Jesus as we just read about Jesus in John chapter 4. Like he's tired. He's going, whew, I need to sit down. I'm worn down, right? Like he's fully man. He was 100% God and 100% man. And in this moment, he goes, I just need to find a place to sit down. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them, this is huge, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have, five, have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, he continues, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. And they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? 
They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now we're going to skip over the next few verses, which was really the focus of last week's sermon. Again, I encourage you to go back and listen to that online. Uh, But the point I want to make today is really between the relationship of the woman and the town. So skip to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. All right, we're going to break down this text a little bit today. Do something a little different than maybe what we typically do. But a couple of things I want to pull out of the text. The first is the first sentence that we looked at. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go. And the problem with that is it's in the imperfect tense. And that may not mean anything to you, but imperfect tense means that you literally translate it, means that he was having to go. And here's why that's problematic for me, is because he didn't have to go that way. Nobody's forcing him to go that way. This is not the only route where he was going. In fact, he chooses to go the way that most Jews would not go. They would go around Samaria just to avoid the Samaritans. Because there was a 700-year hate fest, they didn't like each other. So they would go out of their way to avoid going through Samaria. And he goes, I had to go. No, you didn't. The second thing is that no one, again, is forcing him to go. His disciples didn't suggest, hey, let's go through Samaria. There wasn't some external power forcing his navigation. This moment is Jesus surrendering to the Holy Spirit of God, guiding him to a divine appointment. That's what's happening in this text. He had to go because the Holy Spirit was convicting him. You've got to go this way. I've got an appointment you need to make. Look again at verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift, if you knew it... If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This is adventures and missing the point, by the way. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so the woman says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So here we are at this well, and the promise Jesus gives this woman is, you can drink from the well, but you're going to get thirsty again. But if you drink my living water, streams of of eternal life will be bubbling up inside of you. You'll never be thirsty again. Now, there's a lot of significant things around where they're at, Jacob's well. This is a very significant spot. Abraham made his first sacrifice to God not far from this well. In fact, God promised, gave the, the promise of land to the people of God around this area. Some other pretty significant things that happen. Abraham's servant finds Rebecca, Isaac's future wife, at this well. Right? Jacob met Rachel, his future wife, at this well. Moses met Zipporah, his future wife, at this well. Some of you are going, where's that well? Where's that? How's, how's a sister get to that well? Right? <laughs> like, this is the place to be. All right? 
Marriages are happening. What's happening here is Jesus is teaching that he would become our righteousness. In his coming, there'd be no more penance. There'd be no more series of checklists that you have to do religiously. Jesus would become in you a stream of living water bubbling up into eternal life. And she wants it. I mean, this is maybe the easiest conversion ever. Like he just says, hey, I can give you living water. And it'll give you eternal life bubbling up inside of you. And she goes, done. All right? Watch what happens. Look at verse 15 again. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Right? Play the keys. Right? Call the invitation. Robert, why don't you come on down? Right? Like that, that's what's happening here. It's, it's like it's easy. Let's get you signed up. Let's fill out the, the card down here. We'll get you in the next steps class. Get you dunked in the, in the tank and serving on the dream team. Right? It's easy. This is the easiest conversion ever. Okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. You don't have any questions? No, I'm, I'm ready. Give me the water. I want to live in water. And then if I said, guess where Jesus goes next? And you didn't see the rest of the text. It would probably surprise you. It did me. You would never expect he says what he says. In fact, I almost cringe when I read it. I almost want to pull Jesus aside and go, hey, Jesus. <laughs> I love you. I, I know you're co-eternal with the Father, and you've always been, you'll always be, and you're everywhere at once, and everything was created by you and through you and for you, but listen, she's in. Like you, Nothing more needs to be added. She's in. She's ready to go. She wants to give her life to you. Don't bring up her husband's man. Just give her the water. Look at what Jesus says in verse 16. Go call your husband and come back. Oh, right? You lost her. And the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. You could call these five verses the worry, the wound and the worry. The wound and the worry. Jesus is doing something here that seems on the surface to be cruel, but it's really quite amazing and beautiful and kind. He shows in this moment he actually loves this woman and does not despise her. The reality is in a fallen world, wounds abound. In fact, in this room, every one of you are wounded. Or you've been wounded, at least. None of you are outside of the scope of our broken, fallen world, which means that a lot of us have these deep soul wounds that affect us in ways we probably aren't even aware of. And sometimes it's out of our own foolishness that causes the wound. Sometimes it's other people's foolishness that causes the wound. Sometimes... Everything can be good, but we can still fall because the devil's a liar. You're going to blow it. Look at me. You're going to blow it. <laughs> I'm here to encourage you today. You're going to blow it. You're going to blow it. Jesus knew what he was buying on the cross. You're not surprising him. You really think he's like, gosh, now that I see it live in 2020, I really regret the whole cross thing. No, no, no. He knew what he was buying. He knew you. What do you think the point of the cross was after all? Jesus says, go call your husband and come back. Why? Because the way to experience the grace and mercy of Jesus 
is through the wound. The way to experiencing, listen to me, the grace and the mercy of Jesus is through your wound. It's through your hurt. It's through your brokenness. It's through your stupidity. It's through your foolishness. It's through your addiction. It's through your fallenness. It's through your weakness. That's the way to Jesus' grace and mercy. It's not through the strength. Look at me. It's not through your strength. That's not what Jesus says. The strong don't need a doctor. We don't know what happened to this woman. There's not a lot of information here. Uh, Maybe she's been widowed five times. Maybe that's the problem. And that's why she's with the sixth guy. And that's why the sixth guy is hesitant to say I do. Right? I don't care how fine you are. I'm not marrying you. Right? I know what happened to the other five. I'm not doing that. I don't know what happened, right? I will support you. I will love you. I will hang out with you. I will encourage you in your walk with Jesus. I ain't getting hitched. I'm not being, my name's not added to that list, right? I don't know what happened. Maybe she's an adulterer. We really don't know. All we know is something's gone wrong here. She's ashamed. She's so ashamed that she's at the well at noon, not in the morning when she should have been there. She's there much later. She's just embarrassed and she's ashamed of something. This is a wound. And do you know the difference between a wound and a scar? Like when you have a wound, when, when someone touches a wound, you pull back or you punch forward. Like it's, it hurts. And Jesus just starts pressing into that wound and it, it kind of hurts. Right? Go get your husband. You want streams of living water bubbling up inside of you? Go get your husband. And he presses on that wound. Listen to me, Colonial Hill. He's still working that way in 2020. Amen. Hey, you want eternal life? You want streams of living water bubbling up inside of you? You want to be set free? Go get your addiction. You want to be set free? Go get your eating disorder and bring it to me. You want to be set free? Go get your porn addiction. You want to be set free? Bring me the Tinder app. Come on. He doesn't go, hey, be a better person. He says, bring me your wound. Bring me your brokenness. Go grab it and bring it here. And the great tragedy, God help us, the great tragedy is that we're spending a ton of energy trying to hide the very place that grace is trying to break through. We do. We try to hide it and mask it. And I don't want anybody to know that I got this issue. And it's messed up because everybody in the room is jacked up, including the guy on the stage. I'm the chief sinner among you, okay? We all blow it. We all fall short of the glory of God, but we hide it. We're trying to hide the place that grace is trying to break through. So when you and I are like, God, I don't want anybody to know this because if anybody ever saw this, they would never look at me the same way again. So I've got to hide this. And you condemn yourself to slavery when Jesus is like, I already know you're doing it. Get it in here. Get your husband in here. I got to know that it's happening. Bring it to me. I don't have one. Yeah, I know you don't have one. You got five. And the one you're with now is not even your husband. Get your wound and bring him to me. And around that wound, many of us are so self-protected that even when Jesus is beckoning, we can't handle it. Can I just believe in him and be a moral person? No. Listen to me. Jesus doesn't ask for that. He's not asking for a better version of you. It's not in the text. He wants you. He wants you. Are you tracking with me? All of you, your foolishness, your brokenness, your wounds, your stupidity, your addiction. He says, I want it. Bring it in. I'll give you the eternal springs of water. I'll give you eternal life. I need you to bring that wound to me. Bring it in here. Think about it this way. 
to be 99% known is to still be unknown. Like if I'm 99% known, so I'm like, I'm 99% known, like I love God and I'm, I'm in my Bible, I've been reading every day, I've got, I'm, I'm 12 days into my Bible plan, I've been 12 for 12, Lord, and I'm in church, I haven't missed a church service in 2020, and I'm, I'm praying, I'm, I came to prayer at 6 a.m., Lord, you know, I'm, I'm 99% in, but you got that 1%, you got that struggle, you got that brokenness, you got that wound, you got that addiction, and you're spending all of this energy hiding it, and yet it's impossible when you do that to receive love, affection, and grace from anyone because you've convinced yourself that if they found out about the 1%, they wouldn't love you anymore. If they found out about your 1%, they wouldn't care for you anymore. If they found out about your 1%, they'd reject you. So you hide the 1% or the 10% or the 20% or whatever that is for you. You bury it, and it becomes acidic to your soul. It eats away at your joy and robs you from victory that you have in Christ. And the woman here, she's so well defended. And I don't know if it was 1% for her or 10% or 40%, but she's hiding it. Like he says, bring your husband, and she immediately deflects. Look, she goes, sir, I can see you're a prophet. He just read her mail. He just exposed her deepest, darkest, most buried secret. And she's like, sir, I appreciate it. You must be a prophet. It's a total dodge, right? He goes, I want your heart. Go grab your husband. I'm going to set you free. I know your pain. I see it. I want to set you free from all of that. Go get it and bring it to me. I perceive that you're a prophet. Watch what she does next. It's heartbreaking. She says, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we worship must, must worship is in Jerusalem. So she's dodging the pursuit of her heart with a doctrinal question. Like she's asking about theology, trying to protect herself from Jesus freeing her heart. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So again, he doesn't soft pedal. He says, hey, Samaritans, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. And then he puts on top of that, not only does truth matter, but he shows her the gospel. Look at verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. I love that. The Father is seeking people who will worship him because right now the Father is seeking this woman by the compulsion of Jesus Christ. Having to go through Samaria, having to go, having to go through Samaria to get to this well to meet this woman. To ask her to bring her husband, to enter into her wound, and to set her free. And she tries to deflect one last time. Look at verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The Gospel of John is famous for a lot of things. It's probably my favorite text. I was having lunch with a friend of mine this week, and, and uh, they're going through the Bible, and they started in Genesis. God bless you. Uh, it's hard. It's hard. Wait till Leviticus, okay? It's hard. <laughs> Numbers, whew, right? There's some really good truths in there, but as I said, start in John. Start in Matthew. Like, getting the Gospels. Come, the Gospels will make the Old Testament make more sense. All right? So, so but I love John. John may be my favorite place to start. If you've never read through the Bible, read John. It's a great text. 
But John's famous for a lot of things. One of the things he's famous for is the I am statement. So Jesus makes all of these statements, and he goes, I am, I am, right? And they're, they're famous statements. There's preaching series that you can watch that, that, that people like pastors preach all the I am statements. This is the first I am statement. Of the great I am statements, this is the first one. And it's given to someone whom many would call a loser, right? The first of the great I am statements is not given to Nicodemus in the previous chapter, who was an elite ruling scholar of the day. It wasn't given to his disciples who left everything to follow him. No, it's given to this woman. First of all, it's a woman. And I talked about last week that there was this gender issue that men consider themselves to be superior to women in this culture. Jesus shatters that. There was this race issue. She was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. Why isn't he giving this I am statement to a Jew? No, he's giving it to a Samaritan. So there's this, this. And then she's a woman of ill repute on top of all of that. And this is who gets the first I am statement. That's pretty crazy to me. Like it's a woman. She's the wrong gender according to the culture. She's the wrong race. Samaritan according to the culture. And she's of disrepute. And yet that's the person who gets the first I am statement. Which tells me, and this is incontestable, that Jesus is living water, a free gift completely independent of gender, race, nationality, or merit. Listen to me, it's completely independent of your past and your present. Think about it, she hasn't repented of anything yet. She hasn't left that sugar daddy she's been hanging out. She hasn't left nothing. All she's done is heard him and received it. In her present, like she came there in sin, and, and he goes, I see it, and the living water is available to you. Which tells me, I don't care what you did today, I don't care what you did 10 minutes before church. God says, I love you, and the living water is available for you. So cool. I have a friend who, uh, y'all could pray for him, I'm not going to tell you his name. I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you his name. His name's Mark. Y'all, there's a lot of Marks. Y'all, y'all don't know who I'm talking about. <laughs> don't try to figure it out. Um, but Mark, I've been ministering to Mark a long time. A long time. A decade plus. And, and Mark is one of those that um, he loves um, the world. Um, he's pursuing all the things that the world would deem successful. And in some ways he's accumulated some of that. And uh, Mark was at a broken place one day, and, 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 and I just said, man, I love you. And he goes, listen, I, I'm, for the longest time, he was an atheist. He would be classified as an atheist. And then he said, I'm going to move to agnostic, meaning I believe there's something out there. I just don't know what that is. And he said, so I'm going to just investigate all of the religions and see where I land. <laughs> I said, go for it. Knock yourself out. I said, just be sure that Christianity is in there somewhere. And if you want to save a whole lot of time, do it first. <laughs> but his problem with Christianity in his mind is he said, I feel like I have to clean up my life. And it's, it's pretty jacked up. He goes, I've got to clean up my life to get right with God. And some of you think like that. And I want to shake you today and goes, he already knows where you're at. He already knows what you're doing. You're always going to disappoint you. Get your eyes up to the one who cannot and will not disappoint. I'll be 40 later this year. And can I be honest with you? I thought I'd be further along than I am. I thought I would have less struggles than I do. <laughs> Pastor Reed, thanks for the encouragement. Like, I, I can't, 
But here's the beauty is grace is for the journey. Grace is for the journey. How do you think God's affection works? How do you think it works? You think God's like, you know what? It's January 12th. Huddling up the Trinity. Hey, you see him? He'd been 12 for 12 in his daily Bible reading. I think he's going to make it. And the Holy Spirit chimes in. Yeah, you know. I know. I know. I'm God. I know. Lamentations is brutal. Why don't you do one of those things where you kind of illuminate the scripture a little bit. Make it exciting for him, right? Do you really believe the first day that you don't get in your word or the first day that you mess up or that wound flares up again that God's response is going to be, golly, withdraw my presence, destroy them, burn the whole place down. No. He knows you. He knew that when he went to the cross. He knew what he was getting into in you. So here's what's hard. A lot of us, that's exactly how we think he works. Which is why we run from him when we mess up as opposed to running to him. When you do, it's a sign of who actually understands the gospel and who doesn't. If you run away to clean yourself up, I've got to take a spiritual shower. I'm going to get away from holy things for a little bit. I'm going to do some good for a couple of weeks and then I'll come back and reintroduce myself to Jesus. That's a slavery that Christ has freed you from. You don't have to do that anymore. That's why he asked for this woman's husband, not because he's cruel, because he's kind. On top of all that, look at verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard it for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Not only does Jesus meet this woman in her shame, and in her pain, in her wound, in her foolishness. But then, in joy, with her shame now lifted, she runs back into her community. Who she had been hiding from this whole time? Her town. That's why she's at the well at noon and not there in the morning when she should be there. And now she's going back to the town, and, and, and once shame is gone, all of her brokenness and discrepancies become trophies of God's grace. You see that? I mean, this woman who was so embarrassed about that 1% is now running back saying, Come on, come see the man who knew everything that I've ever done. He told me everything about myself. And the town's response, it could have been a lot of responses. They could have said, Oh, here comes the adulterer. Wonder what she was doing at the well. Probably meeting another guy, right? But there was something about her response that piqued their curiosity. They're going, maybe we should go. And so they come. And did you track her message? Did you track it? She didn't really have a message, did she? All she has is her story. It's not like Jesus said, hey, I need to enroll you in a training program so I can teach you how to evangelize and tell people about me. I'm going to need you to learn the Greek. He didn't do that. 
Hey, I'm so glad, sister, we got shame off of you, but now I need you to be able to tell people what dinosaurs are all about. I need, you to, I need to tell you about that so you can explain that to people. Which is what we talked about last week. We've got to accept the personal responsibility, develop a personal relationship, share our personal story, and then give a personal invitation. So she comes back, she starts sharing her personal story, she gives a personal invitation, and a whole town comes to Christ. This little town gets converted by this likely adulterous woman because she simply had shame taken out of her heart. One of the biggest arguments about people um, with the church is that we're a bunch of hypocrites. They're right. (laughs) We are. We're inconsistent. And that's what makes Jesus all the more amazing. He's amazing. We say one thing and then we do something completely different and Jesus still loves you. Some of you are at church today, but you know you're carrying a deep sense of shame and you're guarded. I don't know if it's 1% or 5% or 10% or 40%, but it gnaws at you. And it's robbing you of the victory that you're supposed to have in Jesus. It steals from you the capacity to believe that he doesn't love some future version of you. He loves you as you currently exist. But I want to encourage you. Here's how I want to encourage you. And I don't know if this is going to work. I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit of God. If you're here today, listen to me. If you're here today and you would have a testimony that would say, there was a time in my life, Pastor Reed, if I'm honest, that I had a 1%, a 5%, a 10%, a 20%, a 40%, whatever. I was living a duplicitous life. I was either struggling with addiction, I was walking in ways that were inconsistent with a life surrendered to Jesus Christ. I hid it, I kept it quiet, and then I buried it. And then I buried the shovel that I buried it with. And then I burned the dirt on top of the shovel that I buried. Like I hid it. But by the grace of God, he called me out. I stepped into the light. And when I confessed, I was met with grace. I was met with mercy. His grace is sufficient. His mercy endures forever. His mercy is new every morning. His, His love and kindness lead to repentance. Like I was met with all of that stuff. And Jesus started to heal that place. I'm not talking about, I'm not all the way healed. But he started to heal that wound. If that's your testimony at all. If that's part of your past. Would you just slip your hand up right now? That's my testimony. Keep them up. Keep them up. Now look around. Look around. Could it be. Keep them up. Keep them up. Could it be that this is a Christian life? Repeatedly coming back to him, repeatedly running to his arms as we sang a moment ago. You want streams of living water? He says, bring that to me. I can put your hands down. Thank you. See, I know what it's like to hold on to that. If someone were to ever see this sin... It's really hard in ministry, can I be honest with you? Because you're supposed to be perfect. I'm far from it, folks. But it's, you know, I have to deal with people's sin in my office, and so it's hard for me to confess my sin to other people. And, and like, so I, I hide that really well. I'm really good at it. 
Listen, I'm trying to, to love you. A lot of you, you feel like if you expose that today, it scares you to death. It's not death. It's life. It's life. It's life. I had a gentleman in my office this week who struggling. I love him very much. He's struggling, and he recognizes that he's struggling. And so we kind of hit the restart button, and we said, okay, let's go all in with God this year, 2020, new year, new you, let's go. I said, this will be the best year of your life if this is the best year of your life spiritually. And he's ready. And I said, I cannot wait until the day where I can bring you up on that stage, and you can tell everybody, I once was blind, and now I see. I once was lost, and now I'm found. And he goes, ah, I don't know if I can, if I want to tell my, if I'll ever get to that place. That's the problem. We continue to just feel like that we, we've got to hide it. Listen, I know you may not know me well, but you will be met here with love, grace, and acceptance. And if it's not me, for goodness sake, talk to somebody else. That's the whole heart of small groups is that you would find somebody, somebody that you can take the mask off and say, here's the real me. This is what I've been doing. This is what's going on, and nobody knows about it except maybe one or two people, and it's rotting me from the inside out. Listen, you cannot outsend the cross of Jesus Christ. You cannot outsend it. You cannot outsend the cross of Christ because he'd still be in the grave. But guess what? He came out of the grave, meaning the bill is paid in full. You want streams of living water? Go get your husband. Jesus goes right after the wound, right after the brokenness. The power of victory is unleashed, not in the good things we're trying to add to our lives, But when we give Jesus our brokenness, freedom is found through the wound. So here's what I'm going to do today. We're going to do something a little different. This whole message has really been kind of different, but here's what I want to do. I want every head to bow and every eye to close because I think God's dealing with some people right now. I can see it on your faces. And some of you need... To give God that thing, that 1%, that 4%, that 7%, whatever that is, you need to give it to him. So here's what I'm going to ask to do, and it's a little weird, but that's okay. Everybody's eyes are closed, so nobody sees you except me. But I'd love for you to just cup your hands like like you're holding water. Cup your hands right in front of you. And if that's you, I want you to picture in your hands that 1%, that 5%, that 10%, whatever that is that you're holding on to. That you're so afraid to expose. He says, bring me your husband. Bring him your addiction. Bring him, bring him your struggle. Bring him your weakness. Bring whatever that is for you. Bring it. I want you to picture that in your hands. And I'm going to pray over you. Lord Jesus, just as you offered this woman living water that bubbles up inside of us and leads to eternal life, you're offering that to everybody in the room today, independent of their past or their present. Or their present. But God, all of us have these these percentages in our hands, and I pray that in this moment, the Holy Spirit of God would just reach into their palms and remove it. Colonial Hill, I want you to think about that just Get that mental picture in your head of the Holy Spirit of God coming and grabbing that out of your hand. God set them free. Set them free. Freedom is through the wound. He said, bring it to me. He wants to free you from that. 
God, I thank you for freedom. I thank you that you reach into our yuck. I'm thankful that you're a man, that you got tired and had to sit down. I'm thankful that you understand what it means to be a man. And you said, I want to reach into that and pull out the best of you by removing the worst of you. God, help start us over with you leading us going forward. I believe you'll do that, and I receive you'll do that in Jesus' name. Amen.